Scuba Obsessed, the weekly podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, to places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 477, is recorded live January 7th, 2021. Back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jolson coming to you from Pikeville, Kentucky. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I think we're doing pretty good if I can stay connected. Yeah, we've got it. I, I'm calling this a victory. Yeah, it's only 30 minutes late. So. Uh, they gave, it gave everybody time to get in the chat room. Even though it's... Oh, Craig, wait a minute. It says Craig failed to join. I've got Craig recording. Yeah, he's, he's recording. Okay, we'll just assume he's recording. So, yeah, that might be I, when I talk to him. No, yeah, there it is. It's I'm, I got to look at the right order. So he's there. Uh, I'm going to say. Four, four, the podcast night is 477, right? 477? It's 47. It? It's episode 477, yes. Yeah, gotcha. 477, getting closer to 500. Dun, dun, dun. Almost there. Yeah. There we go. And I can't blame the internet because this is a much better internet connection than I normally have. Well, yeah, and I'm hardwired in, so it's like when we lost that, it's like I still have no idea what went on. Yeah, well, we'll just say we'll call it good. It's working. We'll go with what we got. Yeah. So I'd like to thank everybody who's tuning in this week. We are starting our Got to do the math. I got it, it's gone beyond ten fingers. So we're on our twelfth season. So hard to believe twelve years now. I see a new guy in the uh, chat room there. Harmonious yeah. human. Yeah, yeah. No Any feedback on where he's from? Yeah, just go ahead and type in the chat room. We'll take a look. Uh, you can put it in either general, but I look at the live show chat that's the better one to to see we also have derek and eric and dave joining us in the chat room this week Woo-hoo. so let's go ahead and jump right on into the news first article that we have up is a continuation of the golden ray it says part of the golden ray heads to louisiana as the cutting starts uh, part of the cargo ship that had become stranded off the Georgia coast is headed to the recycling facility in Louisiana as crews start making a second cut to the Golden Ray. The barge holding the gigantic bow section of the Golden Ray is expected to reach a destination in the Gulf of Mexico in another week or so. This according to Brunswick News. Crews successfully cut the bow section at the end of November and placed it onto a barge, the Julie B. The bow section left St. Simmons Sound on Tuesday, squeezing under the Sydney Lanier Bridge. The 3,100 metric ton chunk of steel is heading to Gibson, Louisiana. They had that section in the Port of Brunswick for a few days. We went down, looked at it. It was awesome and tremendous. And then that second cut a little bit more. uh, Responders have completed cutting operations to separate the stern from the Golden Ray wreck. Uh, They reported that on Sunday. South Korean ship Golden Ray capsized, remember, back in September of 2019. 
cutting operations removed the stranded vessel began in November 2020 after a giant crane was placed over the ship. One thing that they have been noting is that they have increased the safety zone around the wreck from 150 yards to 200 yards for recreational available vessels. St. Simmons Sound Incident Unified Command advises mariners to please stay clear of their perimeter. Any unauthorized usage of drones around the wreck site is also prohibited. Responders will report any sightings of drones and drone operators to local authorities. Uh, bringing up drones, Mac, did you see the new change on the drone rules that's coming? Change again? Yeah. yeah I, I just renewed my, my license, and now I'm going to go back through it just to find out what has changed again. Yeah, there, there was a, there's a few things, but the one that's most uh, noted is that they're going to require that you have a broadcast device on the drone that will uh, say your GPS position and who you are. And I think it's both on the drone and on the remote control device. Right, because it'll also show up then on, depending on what kind of panel you have, it'll show up to the pilots too, which is important, especially if somebody's operating it around yeah. an aircraft or an airfield. It, it's not a bad idea, especially as these get larger uh, and more prevalent. Uh, they've been having problems with people just abusing it, and it's hard to track them down without that otherwise. Well, I'll tell you what, having a six-pound object go through your windscreen is not going to be a lot of fun. Yes, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm kind of curious, so who's going to be the first commercial operator uh, doing package deliveries or food deliveries? that is going to be operating these. Wouldn't surprise me if it's Amazon. I know they've been trying. Um, they, they were early on, they didn't quite get the special use permit, so they were testing in other countries, but they yeah. have the, the financial means and the desire and benefit to do so, so I wouldn't be surprised. Getting back to the, to the other article real quick, I did post a picture of that half sailing out. I would have liked to see it a picture of it as it went under the bridge to get an idea of how tall that little sucker was to the bridge itself. I did post that in the chat room. Ah, there you go. And another follow-up article we have is three people are rescued after their yacht drifted dangerously close to the shipwreck of the SS Richard Montgomery. Uh, that's that wreck in uh, the UK that is packed with 1,400 tons of explosives. Three fishermen were rescued from their yacht when it drifted dangerously close to the shipwreck packed with the explosives. The 27-foot vessel was floating near the mouth of the Medic Estuary in Kent, close to where the wreck of the SS Richard Montgomery lies beneath the surface. Lifeboat crews were sent from the Sheerness in Kent to help the yacht and those on board with tow ropes, then fixed to pull it to safety. The SS Richard Montgomery is feared to have remaining munitions on board that cause a 1.4 kiloton explosion, which would lead to a 4 foot tidal wave in the estuary. Well, that would have been an easy way to clean it up, don't you think? Yeah, I posted a picture. I'm not quite sure I would consider that a yacht. Eh, I call that a day sailor. That, that, that's actually about the size of the boat that uh, my family had as a kid. You know, a oh. little, cap, little cabin sailboat. Uh, I would say, they said that was 23 feet. Didn't look, quite look that long, though, does it? No. I just like the picture of the diver above it, though, in the danger zone. It's like, okay. Or did you see that part? Oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. That, that, I'm, I'm guessing it being black and white, that's probably an older photo. But Yeah. Yeah, that would, uh, 
like I said, just get that hammer out there and just tap on the nose cones of a few of those. See how they go. I don't see any follow-up of when they're going to, if they're going to do anything, are they still talking about it? I talking, talking. I just stay away. Well, they did mention, we did have an article a few weeks ago where they were going to remove, was it, they're going to remove the mast or something? Well, the one picture you can see the forward nav section, because mm-hmm. you see in front of it all the way down a little bit. Yeah. So that sucker has got to be pretty darn shallow. Well, those, those are sitting shallow. up. So, you know, any of the uh, structures on the deck. Yeah. Uh, yeah they've got to be riding up there pretty high. Well, and I can't believe they don't have more of a barrier around it. I mean, those two masts with a sign doesn't seem, because it's just not those two locations that you'd have to be worried about setting off an explosive. I would think not. Yeah, another shot shows a buoy. Oh, that one that one shows it a little bit better. You can actually th- see three structures. Or is that maybe that's something else in the in the bay? I can't tell really. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, and they're in the video. Okay. Well, it didn't go boom yet. There's always the chance. And then uh, not too far from where I'm at here, Chattanooga or Chattanoogan.com, the website. They're talking about uh the Nickajack Cave, and they're saying, is that a scuba disaster? They said one of the collateral benefits of uh writing two columns a week for the newspaper's occasional comments and suggestions by viewers on new topics. And it says in December 24th, this author wrote an article about the history of the Nick Ajack cave and its effect on a Tennessee Valley authority erecting Nick Ajack dam uh, a mile east down the river. When the floodgates of the new dam were closed, it would be a permanent flooding of the Nick Ajack cave and the land in front of it. Although he had mentioned the experience of, of singer Johnny Cash and Lawrence Ashley who had gotten lost in the caverns in 1927 that received national recognition, uh, he did not mention the event that happened on in, in August uh, 15, 1992. The viewer had forwarded a copy of an article called uh, Bat Cave Miracle, uh, scheduled to be published in National Ge- Geographic magazine in 2007, historical periodical conducted interviews of participants involved in near-death experience or two individuals were proposed to, uh, proposed to feature a story, a special guest, Stranger Than Fiction, which was scheduled to air in the spring of 2008. The cave has been documented as a site for Indians to perform war dances prior to plotting uh, white settlers in the area and also an important source of saltpeter to make gunpowder. Uh, they said prior to the closing of the gates at the dam, the abandoned cave had been a popular area for adventure spelunkers to visit. After water levels raised and flooded, the opening cave, only about 15 feet of the entrance remained and a few hundred feet of the grotto and ceiling dropped and disappeared in green waters of the lake. Uh, they protected the cave since the 80s, a sanctuary for bats. They said uh, further discourage and discourage entry. A chain link was placed inside. Um, there's a case in August of 1992 where two young men put on scuba gear and illegally entered Nickajack in search of a giant catfish. Both had been certified open water training, but they had no experience in the sport of cave diving, which requires special training and certification equipment. They got lost underwater in the 
murky waters, ignoring the safety requirements, and men entered the underwater cave and pursued this trophy-sized catfish that one of them had speared the night before and they believed could be found captured a letter dead or alive. With visibility limited about 200 feet, the dive lights had ascended to the greenest space on the rocky bottom. Failing to find the catfish and the air supply running to low, the two experienced cave divers started to head to the surface. It was at this point when things went wrong. Having no lifeline, they followed their air bubbles upward, expected to emerge air-filled portion of the cave where they were shocked to discover they had made a wrong turn after panicking, took, took off in different directions. One of the men was fortunate enough to emerge the air-filled passage with his tank emptied of air and was able to get out of the cave. He immediately notified the TVA the second uh, security uh, situation. Rescue operations were initiated to locate and save the second diver. Several dive teams were dispatched without locating the second young man. Although several requests were made to locate and bring the trained diver, they were denied each time because of bureaucratic snags that could have cost the di uh, second diver's life. Eventually, all three unsuccessful attempts into the cave entrance and try and locate the still alive diver. Permission was finally obtained to bring the cave diver from Huntsville, in Alabama, about 100 miles away. Gathering crowd of relatives and friends established a vigil behind the police line of the scene. The story of the survival and rescue second diver personal experience while waiting for help from drowning and lack of air uh, incidents in a miracle category. Uh, captain of the uh, cave rescue team and his lieutenant uh, agreed to make a further rescue attempt on a slight hope the cave diver was still alive by breathing various air pockets in the cave. Rather than further encroaching the story, the efforts of Lane and Curry to rescue divers own attempts to stay alive. Any interesting readers are respectful uh, directed to the previous mentioned Jasper's National Geographic series Stronger Than Fiction. The episode aired in the spring of 2008 to find a miraculous ending that what started as a foolish attempt and captured the giant catfish. And kind of disappointing he didn't, he didn't go into it. Yeah, you, you might not want to uh, explore caves without the proper training. Yeah, I went ahead and posted uh, two pictures of the entry area and one that as if you went first in there if you come back up in certain areas you have a cavern mm -hmm. uh, but the other parts aren't that way yeah for, for those listening he, he's posted that in the general chat so if you look at general you can see that so that's that cave wow those are some small photos well, that's kind of an interesting mm -hmm. section there Oh, and then uh, uh, Harmonious Human, uh, he is uh, Rick from Northern Virginia near D.C. Been a few months since I caught the live show. I'm listening while walking the dog, so I can't chat much. So uh, welcome. We don't cover the I would the imagine, though, once you, once you survive something like that, I think you're going to be, you think you're oh, going to be paranoid or extra careful? About ever doing that again? Um, I think you'd be fortunate. I mean, I, I think I think pizza is going to taste better after you survive <laughs> that. <laughs> all all sorts of things are going to be better after you've uh, you've had something like that. I don't. It depends. I could. It depend on a person. Um, as diving as long as I can, I would. 
it wouldn't discourage me, but hopefully I wouldn't have made the decision in the first place to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I could also see hang it up. You know, it's, it's not worth dying for. And then every once in a while, we like to mention celebrities who are enjoying scuba diving and this one from a, the sun, which I think is a UK rag. Uh, Brad Pitt and the Red Hot Chili Peppers flee scuba dive in a tropical getaway. And paparazzis uh, took a variety of photos showing them in the water. What you know, it, it shows our interest. What I find most interesting is that they're on, it looks like a uh, Zodiac. Yeah. 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 They, I, I would have thought that they would have gone on something a little bit fancier, but uh, I'd say that's even smaller than Bob's Zodiac. He's got a rib. This one doesn't almost look like it might just be a soft bottom. I would take it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Sir. Oh, no, it is a rib. When you look at the shot with it coming from the front, you can see. So that's, yeah, all the, yeah, no, no insult, but. That's not a bad boat. It's got a nice top on it. It's got no. that console like Bob does. I just yeah, posted it's got a picture the, of it. Yeah, that's right, because Bob uh, did change the console. Yes, he, used, he did. He used to have the center, and now this one's off to the side. A little 50-horsepower Mercury on the back. Yeah. And the one spot you can see, was a, it's called Ribcraft. Did they say where they were? That's a, I think, isn't that Australian version? I don't know. Yeah. Cool. Well, glad to see. Hopefully, it gives a little bit more profile to scuba diving. Denver's Mile High magazine is, is calling ice diving might be Colorado's chilliest sport. And they go into some uh, details talking about it. They said uh, support person helps divers in and out of water 15 to 45 minutes after exploring. Emergency diver stands by below the icy chilling debris resulting in clearer than, un- than usual water with dramatic ray of light beaming through the entrance. Three quarters of earth is underwater. One of the divers said, once you start getting into ice diving, it's another pinnacle of that beauty. And I have to say, I agree. That's a, that's a nice photo they had there. Did you see that ice? Yeah, I posted a picture of it. Yeah, beautiful. I don't know if it's necessarily cold. I think it's warmer under the ice. Get some nice thermals underneath your uh, dry suit. and it, it's Well, you don't, have the wind, you don't have the wind chill factor under the ice. Well, it's, it's not going to get any colder than 32. I am, if it, I am generally warmer under there than I am tending line for two hours. Yes, that's true. Yeah, it, and now do you prefer, if, if you have your preference, do you want to go in the water first or do you want to go in the water last on an ice dive? First. <laughs> first? <laughs> nobody else is going to muck it up. <laughs> oh, I see. See, I was just wondering about temperature because you've been staying out there tending the yeah, that's, that's true. Yeah, you get in there before everybody touches the bottom. Yeah, Usually, as long as you don't got a leak or something, you're good. Yeah. Because if nothing else, you can always go back in the warming shack. That's true. Take it off and put the boots on and, and your other yeah. gear and stay warm. Yeah, I, I guess it also depends if you're going to be the uh, the rescue diver. Oh, yeah. Staging or not, because then you still have to be in your gear. Yeah, so we're getting that time of year. What's What any predictions on ice, do you think? Well, uh, I did some flyovers last week, and uh, it's sort of funny if you go out to Sister Lakes, uh, Magician Lake had probably 80% ice 
Round Lake had 80%, and I can't think of what the other one that was out there between them, can't think of its name, had zero. No, really? Uh, Big Pawpaw had no ice. Little Pawpaw, totally ice. Hmm. Of course, Little Pawpaw, sheltered, no wind, 30 feet max, sort of made sense. Uh, a lot of ponds were frozen over, so if you wanted to get wet, you could. Uh, we had some shore ice on uh, the river, and depending on where you're at, if you got some deadheads, you get ice in some parts of the river. Uh, but that's about it. Nothing to, uh, thick enough, obviously, to go diving or fishing, fishing yet. Not yet. How, how's the weather been there in Michigan the last few days? Pretty darn good. Uh, actually, we were talking about diving again in the middle of the week. Well, Larry and I were doing a, a, mm-hmm. uh, a dive. I think Ted has put a notice out on the club site looking for somebody to go diving this weekend. No? Oh, well, there you go. So that would be in the river? Well, it depends. I mean, you could always go out to uh, Big Papa, do the Forest Beach like we did last week. But uh, I don't know if we mentioned it, but the key item we saw there is weeds are still up, pretty good size. But remember last time we dove it, how the quagga or the zebra mussels were over anything? Mm-hmm. They're gone. What? Yeah. Gone? It's like, wait a minute, what happened to the zebras? The shells are there, but any object on the on the surface was covered in them. Ain't they're not, it's not that way right now. So either they treated it, or they had something that knocked them out. Yeah, that'd be, so that'd be interesting. A, yeah, big surprise to us. Big surprise. Yeah, I have to keep my eyes out for that. Yeah, I did take pictures of the pilings and stuff to, to say, this is what it is, and you know, this is a lot better than last year. Mm-hmm. But again, a lot of weeds, which surprised me, they hadn't laid down yet. I would have thought they'd laid down by now. Uh, we did too. Hmm. Saw so no fish, no crayfish, nothing live, except the weeds. And what what dive was this? Uh, that's when we made pre-New Year's dive. Oh, the pre-New Year's dive. Right. The afternoon on a okay. Wednesday, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, we got rained on, then it froze. It was it was a fun day. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had plans. I was thinking about heading that way, but I had some tile work to do, so I've been doing tile. I'm down to the last little bit of that project. I've I've got maybe ten tiles to put up. They're they're all cuts, but I'm ninety percent done with with laying the tile. I grouted one section, and hopefully this weekend I get the other section grouted. Well, how about this next story of a shipwreck park adds pirate's treasure chest sculpture? This is off Pompano Beach. It's an underwater art exhibit. Uh, shipwreck park adds a little flair for those who want to get deep underwater. It has, according to its website, created underwater park system, established artificial reefs, utilizing public art to raise awareness for the need to preserve and conserve natural coral reefs. In 2016, they stuck to Lady Luck, which is that 324-foot tanker vessel. Uh, It was surrounded by 16 other existing wrecks and marine life. Their aim was to make the Shipwreck Park unique underwater culture. Arts Park with underwater art exhibits that would please both Jacques Cousteau and Steve Zizzo. Uh, Shipwreck Park recently added its newest addition, Pirate's Treasure Chest, 
The 500-pound chest was sculpted by, let me see if I can pronounce this name. I got Donald. I can figure that one out. That uh, Gilly Nella, uh, a St. Petersburg-based artist who was commissioned by Pompano Beach Arts Public Arts Committee. Pirate treasure chest has been sitting on the green lawn of the beach for the past year. The intention was always for it to end up underwater, but COVID precautions kept it delayed from sinking. Now the chest is finally sleeping with the fishes at the shipwreck park. Press release described the artist process that uh, immediately got to work on a series of orthographic drawings that described the chest from all sides. The sculpture was going to be more architectural, architectural, unusual style of depicting animals and human figures needed the exact quantity of all dimensions before going to complex job of fabrication drawings were then transferred to digital files to be refined and prepared as CAD templates for laser cutting. Each of the mini aluminum parts were laser cut and computer precision fitted together, being disassembled, individually powder coated in three different colors. The chest was then reassembled, riveted and welded into its final form. If you got a boat and scuba gear, you can check it out for yourself. So that's powder coated. That's kind of it's it's a little interesting. Yeah, I put the picture of that chest. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you just love to be swimming out there and come across something like that and have yeah. it like real? Yes. Oh wow! How many million dollars would that be? Yeah. A good photo op. They yeah. seem to have good support down support down there because it's what, mm-hmm. what rec what rec number was this one? I don't uh, know. Sixteen other wrecks, so the seventeen wrecks, and then they added that chest. Is that chest placed on a wreck? It seems to be. Yeah, I can you can see the part rail of, the of yeah, something. Part of the yeah. Deck. yeah. Yeah. So just another thing. I bet a heck of a lot cheaper than sinking a hole. Wreck. And then this last article, secret Cold War mission that helped America find the Titanic. Um, and and we've covered, we've talked about this before, but this article out of uh, wearethemighty.com uh, goes into some details uh, on it. But as the story goes, James Cameron, not not James Cameron, just making up names now, Uh, Robert Ballard. uh, He had requested uh, with the Navy to be able to look for this wreck while he was also looking for a submarine for the Navy. Uh, The Navy had originally denied him, but he was able to eventually convince him that uh, he could go looking for it uh, only after he had found the submarine. So as luck would have it, he found and finished his original mission early enough so that he had time to go look for the Titanic. So that's the way to do it. Get somebody else to pay for it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that does it for Scuba in the News. So let's talk about some diving. Mac, you, uh, as we had talked about, you had a checkout dive that you did there. Was that Pawpaw, you said? Pawpaw over at Forest Beach area because... Mm-hmm. You got the dock, you got the sand. Uh, the, we had probably five, six foot visibility. So if you're on the top of the deck looking down, you can see the bottom very easily. But once you got in the water, your lateral visibility was maximum five feet. 
and then yeah. it was hazy. So the video pictures, unless you were close, eh, mm-hmm. ain't too good. I'm not sharp. Yeah. Uh, how was the sun? Was there much sun out? No, because we had when we came up, it was raining on us. We did have people go by and look like, "What the hell are you guys doing? <laughs> what are you doing there? Are you water? diving?" It's like, "What is your first clue?" We have tanks on our back. We got masks. <laughs> we're in these funny-looking suits, and you say, "Are you diving?" No, I don't know. No, we're just walking around the parking lot. I don't know. Uh, oh well, I think people ask obvious things to get obvious answers. <laughs> And then, so how was the New Year's dive? I saw the I saw the photos that you had on Facebook. Uh, yeah, well, we got there early. We uh, the water is down. Uh, you know where we normally go in behind the theater. Yeah, that ramp. Well, mm-hmm. if you want to walk out, you better take your fins off because it's so shallow, and you know how walking in the river is with your fins on, pain in the butt. So uh, we all went out without the fins the first time. Yeah. Well, I think that was predicted. Weren't they talking about uh, uh, they were getting to their normal winter lowering of the water level to help prevent uh, damage to the uh, dams and the bridges? I'm not really sure about that part. I know that we did ours in the middle of the week, and then Kevin and Amy went out, and they actually dove the river mm-hmm. um, away from where we went in because the pipe, you know, the one we mount and then go out, that was pretty much cleared up, meaning it's uh, on the surface, mm-hmm. not much current. Uh, so they did their checkout dive there. So they were ready when we went back on uh, whenever the heck that was. What? Yeah, Thursday. Last, oh, yeah, last Thursday. Jeez. Uh, let's see. Other than the snow, the biggest hassle was ice. Uh, and that's on that ramp as it goes down. That was iced over. Uh, Amy and, and Ava, uh, Kevin were smart enough to bring salt. So we salted uh-huh. that whole area. They salted yeah. that. So even with our carts and stuff, made it a heck of a lot easier to go up and down. Wow, that's some thinking. Since, yep. Since we weren't sure what the current was going to be once we got out, I took uh, a good size anchor and our ice diving lines went up on the, the pier part, you know, the walkway. We yeah. threw that out into the middle as far as we could, then tied it off. And then we put the throw bags and stuff on the top so the safety people could watch. We had lights up there that if somebody had a problem, we could put the light on them. Mm -hmm. And then we went in and did our dive. I came back with one small bottle and that's it. This was maybe two feet once your eyes got used to the darkness with your light. But it was fun. I bet. Yeah. So how many years is that in a row? For me, I think 40. We, we were trying to determine, did we start yeah. in 76 or 78? So either way, it's about 42 for me in a row. Larry's only missed one, so he's done 41 of them. Oh, and by the way, we were in the paper today in the Herald Palladium. Oh, excellent. There is an item there, and then uh, it's in the electronic version of the Niles paper. And it should be in the hard copy paper on Saturday. So that did give us some nice coverage. Um, And they brought up the aspect about, are we going to do an ecology dive there again? And I says, uh, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. Yeah, hopefully. And this damn COVID goes away. 
Exactly. So maybe we'll have a chance for it this year. Yeah, because that was one of the major reasons to cancel it this year is just you can't do the support like you need with everybody well, trying to and, social and, distance. And Yep, and last year we had the flood. So ah, yes. we haven't done it for two years, but not because we didn't want to. It's because mm-hmm. Mother Nature both times. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. We're, we're due. This is the year. Yeah, we're, we're going get to that, get that in and going again. That was fun. Yeah. So hopefully, I think Kevin went out again the next day, I think. <laughs> uh, Bob went to uh, Gilboa. They do yeah. the New Year's Day dives. Mm-hmm. So those are the only ones I know who went out and got wet. Yeah, very good. But uh, Larry and I talked the other day, and we're going to definitely get out either, well, it won't be this week, probably next week. So you want us to give you a buzz when we're, it'll be a high noon dive. Uh, you, you can, I'm, I'm thinking probably not going to be able to fit it in. What what are you doing wherever you're at again? In Kentucky? In Kentucky. Well, actually. Where, where, where are you at? I am in Pikeville, Kentucky, which all I know is it's down through this cavern, <laughs> cavernous valley. Uh, I guess this is the one of the, they're saying after the Panama Canal, it's one of the largest and most expensive earth moving projects ever. Starting in 1977, they excavated because they're having problems of flooding. And as a story we heard today, uh, one of the uh, visionaries in the town was getting tired of being stopped by the train <laughs> on his way to work. So they uh, moved a bunch of photos. In fact, I might let me post what the sign. They, move? they they moved the railroad and the highway, and it took like twelve years of blasting and moving. So here, I, I think I've got the photo. Going to try and stall here enough time to download the image because I have an image. We went to one of the. Uh, Outlooks here. So you're in that hilly portion where they tear us the side of the cliff. Yes. Uh, yeah, I posted a picture. I didn't know if that was where you were at this time. Yep. Download. And uh, but the the reason we're in town is that my daughter is going to be going to med school at the University of Pikesville. Oh. So we went down to uh, visit the area and see about housing. And we toured the campus today and a really impressive program. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, she hasn't officially accepted, but I'm, I'm got an inside word that she probably is. Is that the university of Pikesville? Yep. University of Pikesville. Okay. So there's a little hilly around there. I was just looking at the There's a lot of hilly. The truck has not been happy. I'm, I'm when I, when I get back in town, I'm going to have to uh, go and. Well, she's going to have strong legs going back and forth to some of the classes there. Well, they've got uh, a set of stairs there. It was called the 88. Now it's the 99. They've got 99 steps. But they've also got elevators. Uh, see the one I posted? Ah, yes, I did. That's that's it right there. That's uh I've been through there before. Oh, have you? Yeah. 
What, what were you doing in the area? Back in my day, I used to hitchhike a lot. <laughs> oh, <laughs> through Pikesville? <laughs> I have hitchhiked all the way from, to, well, Alabama, all the way up to Michigan. I used to do that on the weekends. I could, I, I could hitchhike from Huntsville, Alabama to Hartford, Michigan in 12 hours. And considering, you know, but that was back in the 60s. And if you hitchhiked in uniform, people would always pick you up and give you a ride. You'd always get a free meal. And they always said, my boy's in the Army. Do you know him? Oh, yeah. No matter, you know. no matter who picked you up, they would always ask, did you know their son? Because if you didn't, that'd be the time that it was that. Yeah. That, that you would have. So, yeah, here I, I posted a photo of the sign, and it says that the cut-through project, the dream of Dr. William Mambly, is the largest engineering feat in the U.S., second only in the world to the Panama Canal. Of course, this is when the sign was made. Yeah. It was started in 1975 and finished in 1987. The cost was $77 million and some dollars, and 18 million cubic yards of earth removed. The project eliminated disastrous flooding by the Big Sandy River by moving a four-lane highway, a railroad, and a river through the mountain. But uh, yeah, the this uh, university they've got there, the medical university, has has done wonders for the town because you can between this project and then that university, you can the, the area seems to be doing quite well. Well, it's a good day's drive, but I mean that's a doable one there. Yeah, from from yeah, it was about eight and a half hours. I mean, probably ten by the time, and you figure bio breaks and stuff. But uh, yeah, definitely a little bit more uh, elevation change to what I'm I'm, I'm accustomed to. Yeah. And I, and I, as I'm looking, I'm like, is there any dive spots? There, there. That river does not look like uh, anything you really care to dive in. I do see fi fishing boat ramps, so the people must be getting the river to do some fishing. River's good down there. A little mucky though, and you do have a lot of good dams down there in Kentucky and. Alabama, Tennessee area. Yeah. Well, as we were driving in, before I knew about this project, I was thinking, gosh, if they have flooding, there's really nowhere you can go. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're kind of trapped. It's, it's amazing how steep the sides of the valley is. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're doing. I'll, I'll be heading home tomorrow sometime. Well, Mac, do you have a dive safety story for the week? Well, I do as soon as I can find it. I had it, and it's like, where the heck did you go there, buddy? I had it before, but as I was looking for that other stuff, I had. Uh, uh, if 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 not, we can always save it for another week. Well, it'll take me a minute. Let's see if I can find the darn thing. Well, while you're doing that, we'll do the quick plug for the program. So oh. hopefully everybody's in, enjoying the program. If you're getting any sort of value out of it, we'd certainly appreciate your support. Head on over to our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. Click on over the Patreon link. $3 or more gets you early access to the show notes. And we've got some things we want to work on the, this uh, following year. I'm, I'm looking at some new software for helping record audio. And uh, we plan on having some video projects that we'll be doing. And those will be happening sooner than later. So, Mac, at some point, I've got some other software we'll be using for recording that might improve the audio quality even a little bit more than what we currently have it. Well, unfortunately, I cannot recover whatever it was that I had. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's fine. 
we'll we'll hit that one up next week. Here we go. Oh, you found it? Well, there yes, you go. I did. So as it comes up for me, we will. <laughs> All right. Well, the title is pretty good. It's called Damned If You Do. Diving too close to a water pipe intake pipe proves deadly in this edition of Lessons for Life. Cal and Harry were sitting pretty, enjoying a river drift dive in favorable conditions. After pausing for a moment to compare pressure gauges and seeing they were good on air, they decided to continue from the small feeder stream into the river and the pool behind the dam. And that's where they got in the trouble. The divers. Both men were certified, but neither dived regularly. They typically went with friends only to the local lakes and quarries. Cal was 38 years old and Harry was 36. Neither had any known medical issues. The dive. Cal and Harry met with three friends for what promised to be a unique dive. They planned to make a drift dive down a local tributary river that fed into a larger one and end the dive at the confluence of the two waterways. There's a boat ramp there, and that's where he decided to exit the water. One of their buddies left the truck there to take them back to their cars. A group of divers made their made a shore entry and swam to the middle of the channel in the stream. Once they were all ready, they agreed to descend, began floating with the current, five divers in all. They planned to dive as a large group, but ended up splitting into two groups of two, leaving one diver by himself. The leader of the group brought along a dive flag and let it trail behind them on the surface. Air temperature was in the 90s, water temperature in the low 70s, and the divers relaxed in the cool water as they drifted with the current. Tributary River was only 20 feet at its steepest, and the divers hovered around 15. The Accidents Now, Cal and Harry realized they'd entered the main river when the current stopped pushing them along and they had to swim again. Divers checked their air supply and realized they each still had half a tank of air. At that point, they could have swum back upstream towards their exit point, but instead, they decided to explore the main river and the dam pool nearby. There's a hydroelectric dam just downstream from where the stream entered the river. I wanted to see the inside of the dam and check out the water intakes. Now, other divers had told them how large the intakes were and that you could approach them only when they were shut down. They knew it was dangerous if water was flowing through the electric plant, but they were sure they had a few hours before the gates opened. The dam staff, or the staff of the dam, normally opened the spillway in the afternoon when the demand for electricity was at its highest. They didn't want to miss this opportunity to share their own stories at the dive shop. The divers didn't. The two men began making their way towards the dam. They didn't notice anything was wrong until they got too close to the intakes. By then, it was too late. Water was flowing from the, from the river through the hydroelectric plant, and both men were trapped. The other three divers in the group serviced at the meeting place and exited the water. They waited half an hour for Cal and Harry. They got nervous. Something must have gone wrong. They searched there at the stream and the river looking for bubbles. They were unable to find any signs of the missing divers. Because Cal and Harry had gone beyond the dive plant, no one on the surface knew they were searching in the wrong place. Authorities uh, began on the stream and worked their way towards the river and the dam. They were concerned the divers had gotten hung up on a sunken log along the way. 
The bodies were recovered the next day. The official cause of the death was drowning. Because of high air temperatures and increased demand for air conditioning, the electric authority had changed the schedule for the hydroelectric plant. Signs in the area stated no fishing, swimming was allowed at any time because the schedule was subject to change without notice. Guards often kept people away from the dam below, from the dam on the surface, but there was no way to know the divers had approached from below. And they weren't diving with a flag because it was with the other divers who exited the water at the agreed-upon location. The analysis. Commercial divers routinely dive around water intakes at industrial facilities, but only when the intakes are turned off and secured. They know getting too close to water intake is dangerous can be deadly. Since neither diver returned, there was no way to exactly know what happened or how they got drawn into the intake. But both divers were found with no air entangled in the grates that covered the water access. Typical water intakes around electric plants are built in such a way that water can flow all around an obstruction and not trap a diver. They have a cage built around the actual intake that allows water to flow in from the sides as well as from the front, minimizing the suction that would prevent a diver from escaping. It is possible these intakes were older and not built as current standards. Regardless of the reason, two men entered an area they knew was dangerous and paid for with their lives. For some people, the appeal of visiting places that are off limits is exciting, but their reasons Authorities keep people away. So lessons for life. Dive your plan. Create an objective for the dive and stick to it. Avoid commercial installations. Without the proper training and equipment, there is no good reason for recreational divers to dive around industrial locations. Understand local conditions. When diving around or even near dams and spillways and water intakes in rivers and lakes, it's easy to get trapped and die. No dive is worth losing your life, whether it's a matter water intake, a cave system, or a wreck. Don't enter a place you're not prepared for or properly equipped for. Uh, the only other item I'll add to that is uh, spillways, or what they call where you've gone across a lot of rivers at have had engineering done to have a, a little bit of a drop or a spillway is what they call it, to slow down the velocity of the water. Raisin River is a good example of that. At where it drops over that three or four feet drop can sometimes create a hydraulic. Yeah. And I have seen 50-gallon imped drums go over the fall, get caught in that hydraulic, and suck to the bottom, back up, and it's you got a nice vicious cycle. If a 50-gallon drum can be sucked down, you sure as hell can be, and you, yeah, you can't can. get up. Yeah, you're not going to have the buoyancy of a 50-pound drum. No, you have got to watch out for hydraulics. And again, you can do a day whenever it's really good, low flow conditions, get away with it. The next time it's a little bit much more, and you didn't realize it, and you're screwed. Yeah, we've, we've covered that on the program before, uh, local divers who have died because they've they've gotten into the hydraulic situations yeah uh the biggest one we have where we're diving is one you know you got the french paper dam but they've got the the buoy line across it and you really don't want to go past that buoy line even on the bottom because all you need is a nice little siphon hole that is not apparent 
You get right. your arm or leg caught in it, and I guarantee you, you cannot pull your leg out. Uh, we had a person die on the Berrien Springs Dam that way. Mm -hmm. And that was a commercial diver with commercial rig. And the yeah. other one is stay away from the hydraulic where they release the water. That's another bad place. You don't want to be diving. In just because you did it once doesn't mean you can do it twice. Right. I mean, because the flow velocities can change. Like the three intakes there at the cook plant, uh, they're 300,000 gallons per minute flow rate per pump. Unit one side has three pumps. Unit two has four. You ain't going to go against that flow rate. Mm -mm. And even though their grills are designed that you have water coming from uh, it's like an octagon, all the different sides. I will guarantee you, if you go there when they have the max flow rate and the other one's cut off, you will stick to the grill like a waffle iron. Yeah, because they, they want to keep that plant cool. They're not going to risk it. if they, I mean, you got redundancy for a reason. So. Right. Well, very good. Yeah, it's a, a tragedy. You just want to do everything not to put yourself in that situation. But it's easy to get yourself to do that. You know as well as I do. Sometimes you finish your dive and it's like, wow, I got time to do a little more. But if you did, you should have gone upstream so people know where you're at. Number two is I don't believe, I don't understand why they didn't all have flags. Because we do our drift dives and we have flags. Yeah. And we know too that when you do have a bunch, based on what you're doing and how much you're going to gawk or grub, you're going to get stretched out. Some people will get to the end and have, you know, 1,000, 2,000 pounds of, well, 1,500 anyway, pounds of air. And some people have to change their tanks halfway down. Yeah. <laughs> well, if, and if you're in the river diving, you, 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 you're taking a look at something and, or maybe you try to go up upstream a little bit and visibility, it's, it's really a solo dive when you're, when you're, we're doing a river dives. Yeah. It's, it's just so difficult to stay all right together. So you really, everybody needs to have their own flag. Absolutely. And again, that's why we, when we have new people, we babysit. And there's nothing wrong with babysitting a new diver. It's fun. I mean, yeah, because you're, you're, I get my, my enjoyment out of their enjoyment. Yeah. It, it's, it's fun doing a dive like that. Yeah. Well, let's see. You have anything you want to plug before we get on out of here? Well, the libraries are finally open, uh, at least in my locale. Mm -hmm. So as Kevin would say, go out there and support your libraries because they have a lot of items that aren't on microfilm. Yeah. And a lot of it won't be, especially local books that are not, you know, people who write. When I was a kid in Hartford, which they yeah. do when there are books like that, that's where you like to get and look for stuff that happened, where things got lost. What about where they used to swim? It gives you lots of clues of what you might want to go look for. Yeah. When, when people hear about stuff being digitized, that's very large companies. I think Microsoft and Google are some of the best known for doing that. But they're hitting a large institution that has an archive. If the book you want isn't in that archive, it's not going to get scanned. And it's taking, I don't, I haven't heard how many, decades but it's not something that even the books they have access to now are all going to get scanned in a reasonable amount of time so you got guy keep supporting these libraries and 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 not necessarily just your libraries but your historical 
organization. Some of them are, are republishing, so they're they're taking those stories and and updating them with maybe some new information and publishing them out. And they may have original documents. You know, we've got the Berrien County Historical Society there, uh, Berrien Springs at that museum. They've got some. You got some, like the Heritage Center has some archives. So there's a lot of stuff that uh, it may take longer than our lifespan before they're they're going to be stored if ever right and if you've never really been and did any kind of research uh, it's like i've been to the one all the ones you've mentioned looking for let me go through the history of this because if you metal detect on the surface and you also dive you got two areas you're looking at you're looking where were the parks back in the old day where were the campsites for the old days and if you're looking for a river it's like where they used to have the boats docked at? Where did they have events at on the river? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doing a lot of paperwork or paper searches saves you a lot of time in the river and on land. Yep. Well, thanks. Thank you, everybody, again, who's in the chat room. Are uh, you ready for that time of the show? I am sitting down. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, this couple purchased an old home in uh, northern New York State from two elderly sisters. Winter was fast approaching, and uh, the couple is concerned about the house's lack of insulation. If they could live here all those years, so can we, the husband confidently declared. One November night, temperature plunged to below zero. Uh, they woke to find the interior walls covered with frost. The husband called the sisters to ask him how they kept the house warm, and after a rather brief conversation, he hung up. For the past 30 years, he muttered, They've been going to Florida for the winter. That does make me think of something. Did you see that one in the paper? Or I found it someplace. A family had bought a house uh, over 100 years old. And uh-huh. you know how old houses have histories. Like, there's a body buried somewhere in the wall. Yeah. There's treasure. They were rich. Well, these people were bootleggers. Ah. And it's like, well, they might be or they might not be. So they bought the house. They were renovating it. And they went out and I got, they had videos of where they started ripping off. You know how you have the, um, most of the older houses were not built on the ground. They had uh, elevation. Yeah. And also, it had the sidewalls. So he started ripping off the sidewalls, and along all of the sidewalk walls were two bottles, because he obviously was a bootlegger, totally wrapped up and in, in, encapsulated along all of their walls on the outside of the house. Hundreds huh. of bottles. Wow. And they are going to keep some and sell some. I wonder, I mean, did. Did he pass before he had a chance to get them or forgot them or? Uh, don't know. Didn't say that aspect of it, but that's one of those, damn, that was true. And the pictures, I, I'm seeing if I can find that just to send you for fun, but it's like, that would have been awesome to find in the water or not in the water. Certainly would be. Well, on that note, go out there and get what? And stay safe.
analyze everything else. It's easier to say that than do it sometime. Yeah. Because you do, you get carried away with something or you find something or I don't care what you do. It's always when you're down to 600 pounds, that's when you hit the, the, the little treasured area that, damn, I'm starting to get some bottles now. It never fails. Uh, About the time you give out of air is when you find something and you need that extra time to go back and dig it or get the lift bag and you don't have any more air. Never fails. I also find that uh, you also get warmer when you find something interesting. I can be chilling in a dive. I can be chilling in a dive and think, ah, it's about time to come up. And then you see something interesting and you forget about how cold it is. Well, it depends if you got a dry suit or a wet suit, too. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you can get warmer slightly. Yeah.